Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvin, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, please feel free to answer any questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. Couldn't be easier than that. And I see we got a line lit up already. We go for line with Mark. Good morning, Mark. Yeah, good morning. Yes, good sir. Good morning. Yeah, I mentioned before the feasibility of pertaining this little old yes SUV, 15 years ago old. I was just calling so hopefully others can learn from my mistakes. Okay. <laughs> I called myself upgrading the, the uh, radiator because for the longest time, Nissan radiators, they had a problem. Right. The inner... Yeah, the cooler uh, tank would bust on and flood the transmission with coolant. Massively expensive. However, I'm thinking reactive, but ultimately not a good decision. I bought a all aluminum radiator, as I was telling the other guy, made with pride, as it turned out, in Indonesia, yeah. which is fine. But, I mean, it looks, to look at it, beautiful, beautiful wells and everything, mm-hmm. but it has not worked out. Yeah. Nissan, my Nissan has been running at a slightly higher temperature. Yeah. And you get something that old, it doesn't take much to, for stuff to start fouling up. And I'm one more comment, and I'll hang up and listen. If people... Hope to people will learn from my mistakes. Kind of it, see, this is probably on y'all's website as far as basic stuff. But mm-hmm. how many volts do you want a healthy battery to measure? And I will hang up and listen. Enjoy okay. the show. I enjoy the show every time. Bye. Okay. Thanks, Carl. Thank Mark. Yeah. To answer your last question first, a good battery at static charge should be putting out somewhere around twelve and a half volts. Certainly nothing less than that. And you don't want too, too much. Now, when the engine is running, the alternator is charging it. It may go up to 14. 14.7. Even 14 yeah. and a half, somewhere in that area. But a good solid battery, it's basically a 12-volt battery. It's got cells in it. Each cell produces one and a half volts times eight cells is 12 volts. But 12 and a half is actually, seems like the magic number of all the batteries I've checked. Certainly no less than 12, no more than about 13. But 12 and a half seems to be the magic number on a good battery that's just running. So... If that answers your question fully. Now, on the first thing you were talking about, you know, it's just human nature that if some is good, more has got to be better. Right. And that is a fallacy. There is a proper design, and it's also sort of human nature that when something breaks, people automatically, well, let me make it better than it was before. Right. But what you need to do is fix what is wrong, not start modifying the design. Well, you got to remember that. That particular part had lasted 15 years. Right. Doing its job every day, day in, day out. Which is the lifetime of a radiator anyway. Pretty much. Now, the thing is, with trying to make things better or whatever, there is a certain amount that is good. Now, with engineering, all engineering is the same. There are factors that, let's say there's three sides, and and it could be more than that, or you could pick any three you want. But let's say one is reliability, two is performance, and three is cost. Mm-hmm. And that's just three. We could pick any three we wanted. To get closer to any one, you are going to get further away from the other two. Correct. And that's just the nature of any kind of manufactured product in the entire world. If you make something stronger, you're generally going to make it heavier. Which is going to cost more. Which is going to cost more. And it's going to have more loading and all that. So to build a, a bridge, say... We have to measure how much load this bridge will ever have. A small safety fact for unexpected situations. Don't want to just go in and let's say the bridge calls for a two inch, uh, excuse me, a two foot I beam. Well, we don't want to put a four foot I beam. 
because the weight is going to go so high that now the ground can't carry the load and you get in more problems. I remember back when they redid the old airport in New Orleans. That was old Moisant Field, which was old military base. Rather than take and bust up the old concrete, which had been there for 70 years, sure. and pour new concrete, they decided just to pour concrete on top, the old concrete. So now you got, instead of a 16-inch thick runway, you got a 32-inch You got runway. a 32-inch thick runway. Well, it didn't take very long to figure out. That starts sinking into the ground because sure. the ground here is more. You're not poured over bedrock in South Louisiana. You pour it over mud. <laughs> <laughs> so it starts sinking, end up coming back and tearing the whole blasted thing out and redoing it. The same thing you'll see on a lot of old buildings and all that uh, you see out throughout the South where they're built up on pilings with cypress things right. and, and so on. Well, after 250 years, something starts to rot. Well, they decide, well, I'll just go in and pour concrete under here. Well, if they want a concrete under there, they'll put it to start with. What happens now is you don't get airflow under it and everything starts falling apart. Then they got to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to go and rip all this out to put it back the way it originally was because somebody already figured out the best way to do it i remember i read a thing a while back and this is when the old tombs in new orleans which are hundreds of years old Uh and some moron decides he's gonna go into st louis number one and paint marie laveau's tomb okay well he painted this ridiculous shade of pink which i don't know why he decided on that but he used latex paint on these old bricks well these bricks are designed to breathe so once he puts latex, they no longer breathe. The tomb starts to crumble and fall sure. apart. Well, what they have to do now is they don't allow anybody to go in and out of cemetery without a part of a tour group. Okay. And at, they're trying to figure out who's going to spend the money to go in to and fix all this. get all this mess off that he took it on himself. So the point is, we kind of strayed away from the point there, but if a vehicle comes with one size component, that has been engineered out particularly on a Japanese vehicle or an Asian vehicle. They usually have even higher degrees of engineering than they the do. domestics do. Don't take it on yourself to modify. You're not going to make it better. No. What you're going to do is you're going to change one thing, which is going to make other things far yeah. worse. It's going to create all kinds of unexpected things. Another example of that is with the air filters that come on cars. It comes with a paper disposable right. air filter. Right. Well, people say, well, I'm going to put one of these serviceable air filters in there with the oil bath and all that stuff. might sound great. But now you got to think about it. Are you going to stop every one to three months, take this thing out and spend half an afternoon cleaning it? Because you're probably not. Nobody no. does. So now it gets filthy, dirty, and it's doing worse than it was before. It's got oil in it. All getting in the airstream gets on the airflow meter, messes that up. So well, and, and then the, the dust and particles that get past it get stuck on the airflow meter, which that's right. messes it up. Creates, now you've got a, an engine that won't run anymore or runs very Or you've got to replace the airflow meter or whatever it is. Same thing with, with batteries. Somebody's battery goes dead after four years. Well, I'll put a bigger battery. Well, no, no, no. When you go higher on cold cranking amps, the reserve capacity goes drops. Down. So you're not getting a better battery. You're just getting a different specification of battery that no longer fits your car. Correct. The car was designed with one. So when the battery goes bad, I mean, you just put another battery in it, the one that it calls for. And you can be far, far better off. And like I said, cars today are so, so well engineered that there's just hardly there's very little room for anything. Yeah, there's hardly anything you're going to change that is not going to be worse than it was before. Let's go back to our phone lines. we got Paul online. Good morning, Paul. Yes, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. Um, I've got a 2015 Ford Escape with the big 1.6 liter EcoBoost. Okay. I have a, a kind of a simple question about the engine. Okay. It's got a turbo on it. I know it runs off the exhaust. Mm-hmm. But does it always make boost 
or just when you step into it? Well, it's always making boosts, but when you're just cruising along, there's not a whole lot of extra exhaust pressure to really turn it. So it's not spinning up like it does. When you, when you get down on it, the exhaust pressure rises up, which spins it faster, which gives you the boost you need. So it's kind of a self-regulating thing. But, yeah, it's turning all the time unless okay. they've got a mechanism on it to shut it down, which some of them do. They may most, have what, Most of them have a, a, what they call a wastegate that, yeah, that dumps the excess pressure. It just dumps the excess pressure off to, to maintain it. And most of them have something in the intake that measures the boost. If it gets too much, they can divert the additional off and all that kind of stuff. Or if it gets boost when it's not appropriate to have boost, it can dump it off. But oh, okay. basically, you're all right. It does turn all the time that okay. exhaust is running. Yeah, because I, I was, you know, I was, re- I was reading different things online because it's online. We all know it's true. That's right. Uh, <laughs> um, some of the problems that they're having with that engine with with the coolant going into the combustion chambers, and some people are just saying because the engines aren't strong enough for the amount of boost that they're putting into them. And I was wondering if there was any any truth to that, you know, or if it would be behoove me to baby the car, you know. Well, I mean, you know, you take a little tiny engine and they boost up the intake pressure to give it the performance of a bigger engine. And, of course, the advantage is that it's lighter, so it saves fuel, and a smaller engine saves fuel, and it's only going to burn it when you're really down into it. Yeah. That's theoretical, but... Like you said, when you start boosting intake pressure, you're boosting compression because you're forcing more air into the cylinder. So when the piston compresses it, it has to work a lot harder to do that. Yeah. And it does take a toll on it. If it's engineered for all that, that's great. But, you know, engineering, especially on domestic cars, is such that they got a CFO there who's saying, hey, cut cost, cut cost, cut the cost. So they really don't put a whole lot extra into most things like that. I remember many years back, diesels started becoming real popular, and GM, in that ultimate wisdom, took a gasoline <laughs> engine and, and converted, converted it to it. a diesel. Yeah, I, I remember, remember that. Absolute disaster, because it yeah. just wasn't heavy enough. It's, and the diesel sort of kind of the same way. You know, you're forcing stuff into the cylinder. It's going to explosions more violent, but you got to have the bottom end to take care of all that. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's kind of a weak design, and as long as you treat it judiciously, I would yeah. be changing all way more often than what Ford recommends on that because I think the, the the maintenance recommendations are ridiculous because the turbo runs real hot, which is hard on oil. It has yeah. it takes a lot of load on the oil. The additional pressure is hard on the oil. I think they the maintenance is very optimistic at best. And if you got yeah. a compromised design, the less you really get into it, the better off you're going to be. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I do drive like a Pepe. So. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Um, another question I had, I was looking in the owner's manual, and it said for the timing belt, it said 150,000 miles, but it doesn't give you any time. Yeah, most of the time, seven years is pretty much the interval on any kind of rubber belt. Just okay. because, Now, I don't know specifically what they're saying on that one. The miles don't seem to hurt them that bad, because if you put 150,000 miles in two years, yeah. the belt would still look almost like new. You know, it breaks down over time. Yeah, okay. So I, I only go about seven seventy two hundred miles a year. Yeah, so, so I, I would probably look at around seven years. I certainly wouldn't go much more than that. Yeah. Everyone okay. I've ever seen break was because they went too long on time, not because they went too long on mileage. Ah, okay. Okay, good enough. All righty. Thank you very much. Bye, right, man. Let's call Have Paul. a good day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, take our first quick little break. Be right back with a whole lot more on the automobile. <laughs>
TJ, I've been looking to tone up, man. You have a personal trainer, right? Yes, I've got the guy, Mr. Miyago. <laughs> He's going to teach me how to wax on, wax off. Mr. Miyago's no joke. Oh, sorry. He begins by filling your shorts with wet sand to provide weight resistance and enhance focus. Then launches into a series of drills like crouching tiger, hidden badger, fire monkey, flogging duck, and highly agitated dragon. Sounds kind of extreme. Yeah, bruh. Extreme results. Everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for the right automotive guy, it's Agco Automotive. We make it easy. Quality repairs and a staff you can trust. And with Agco's general inspection, you get an annual checkup to diagnose problems that could cost you down the road. You will need to sign a waiver stating you are not allergic to pig intestines and live geese. I think I'm just going to hit the gym, TJ, but thanks. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Off the river to ride. Don't mind it, cause the man with the whiskers has a Welcome back to the Dark Dark Motor Hour. Host Lewis Alfan with Mr. Brian Carey. Fuels will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Just give us a call. 291 6901. And use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. Hey, yeah, sure. Wish you would. Appreciate hearing from you. Makes it a lot more interesting. Yeah, it does. You know, on a sort of a sad note, we lost a. I would say a legend yeah, in the automotive I would. business in Baton Rouge last week. That's Mr. Carl Merriweather. Right. And Mr. Merriweather was one of those guys who was just really, really active in the community. Just about everyone knew him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he started out in Merriweather's SO, and then, of course, later on he converted to a mobile station, full-service mobile station. And this is back about 1960. Yeah. So that's how far back it goes. Mr. Merriweather was 94, I think, when he, when he passed on. But... Mr. Merriweather was not only a service station owner who did good business. He was very, very involved in the community. He was always concerned yep. with, with the community. He always did a little thing. I know a lot of the guys, and he used to call them kids because they, they were, but they've gone on to be pillars of our community sure. as well. A lot of doctors and lawyers and Indian chiefs and what have you yeah. started out working at Merriweather's Mobile. <laughs> but, yeah, he... He passed on, but he had a very good life, very long life. So he, he used to stop by the shop a lot of time, talk with us, chat with us. You know, it had been a while, just a couple of years since I'd seen him, and I was wondering Yeah, I don't think his health has been as good in, in the last few years. Yeah, really be, will be missed. Uh, not a whole lot of guys left like him. No, not at all. But, uh, yeah, World War II and Korean War right. vet. And I remember I asked him one time, I told him, you know, thanks for your service. And he told me, he says, it's not a service, it's a privilege. Sure. I said, what a great attitude or outlook. Oh, yeah. he, he was always like that, though. Yeah, he was. He was just a, a really nice guy. So, anyway, I know a lot of our listeners probably never Remember heard of Mr. Merriweather or heard of Baton Rouge, for that matter. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he was just sort of an institution here. Even long after he retired from service station bills, he used to do car care clinics for, he always called them little old ladies. Right. With no right. disrespect intended, but they checked the cars for him and things like that. Yeah, he'd look them over for him. Yeah. Anyway, just a, a kind of a sad note. I thought today we might talk a little bit about some maintenance items that are what I call infrequent items. This is not things you want to run out and do all the time. It's not things that you want to overdo. Mm-hmm. Kind of like we started out the segment last segment. Because some's good doesn't mean more is better right. necessarily. There's a right amount, and a certain amount is really, really good. But if you overdo it or underdo it, you can not, create a problem. Yeah, you're going to create a problem. And these, just a few of them that come to mind, are things like lubricating the lock cylinder 
ignition cylinder on cars that have keys. Now, a lot of cars today have push buttons, so sure. it's not going to apply to those. But the but, ones that still have keys. But cars who have keys, that does require a very, very light amount of lubrication very infrequently. Mm-hmm. But it's a brass key with brass tumblers, and if it gets dry and you keep pushing out and pushing out, you're going to wear it out. And right. when you wear right. it out, it's a pretty big deal. The key's going to look like a knife. Yeah, it just it wears literally the, key, the keys away. And this is true of every lock in your life, mm-hmm. be it your door locks at home or your padlock on your gate or whatever. Sure. They need a very, very small amount of lubrication very infrequently. And, you know, the, the most of the time when you really think about, you know, hey, I need to lubricate this lock, it's almost too late. Well, what happens it starts binding, key starts key jamming, starts you can't get, and then you go put a little lube on it try to fix it. Right. And that's not really a fix. That's a preventive measure. Once it's wore out, it's, it's wore, wore out. out. And yeah. the things aren't going to work anyway. But what you use to do that, when I was a young, young kid, I worked for a locksmith for right. a short period of time, and I took a course in locksmithing. We always use dry graphite. Mm-hmm. It's a black powdered graphite. And what you do is just don't squirt it up in the lock. Just put a little bit on the key, run the key in and out a few times, and then take a paper towel, wipe the key off, and it's done. That's all it really requires. I know some locksmiths today have sprays they use, and, and that's okay. Some, some prefer a, it, uh, it's more of a oil type spray, which, yeah. in, you know, in that case, very little, just like the graphite. If you use a lot, it gets on the keys. Before long, it's all over everything. Well, it's in your pockets, all over your that, hands. What happens if you put an oily substance? All tends to attract dust dirt. and dirt. It's going to stick to it because it's sticky now, and so it's going to put a more of a grinding compound in there. Whereas, like a dry graphite product, if you don't use too much, is just going to lubricate it, and it's not going to create with all issue. the other problems. You know, now you put a all on your key, you put your key in your pocket with your brand new. So right. slacks on. <laughs> you got a big spot in your pocket. Spot. Yeah. <laughs> so not something you want to get crazy with, and not something you have to do a whole lot, but occasionally, sure, uh, you, you might want to do that. Now, another thing would be like the hinges on your on doors. doors, and again, a little tiny spray of like something like a WD forty, maybe a light silicone kind of lube. Just a little spray every once in a while. It'll keep those hinges from wearing out. Right. Because when the hinges wear out, on old cars, you used to be able to knock the pin out, and you could probably replace the pin in them. Your right. car is all one-piece assembly. Well, at very at very least, you could unbolt that hinge and replace the entire hinge you could change assembly the hinge. if it wore out. The newer ones are actually welded to the door, and they're welded to the, right. the A-pillar there. So changing that hinge is a lot more involved. It's a big deal because you got to cut it off, which means you can burn all the paint up on your A-pillar and burn all the paint up your door or the wiring behind the dash well you, you have know, to you strip got all, that. all that down you and get it out of there take all the interior out so it's a big 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 deal it is that is very easily prevented just by a light application of lubricant well, you, something like that maybe once a year right you got a steel pin running through a brass bushing mm-hmm. and you got the weight of that door and some of those doors those are really have pounds especially if it's a two-door car sure a two-door car it's has a much longer door. door than a four-door car right and in any time, if you ever had somebody hanging on that door or that door got involved in an accident didn't get aligned back correctly, mm-hmm. that brass pin, brass bushing wears out, and that metal pin starts into the hinge part, mm-hmm. and it'll wear a groove in the hin- in the metal hinge of the door. Well, and what happens then is that the door starts to sag. Right. And you can always tell a door that's had this problem. You can grab it on the outside by the handle area on both sides, just kind of lift up and down, and if it moves a noticeable amount, it's got worn hinges. I've seen them move a half an inch. Sure. You can actually pick it up a half an inch. And when you slam the door, what happens is that when it gets to that striker bolt, 
the striker bolt is now lifting the door up to make it fit the opening. Right. Instead of the 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 gap of the the latch going over the striker bar, mm-hmm. it's actually using the latch as a lift. Right. It hits that striker bar and actually has to lift the door up to get the latch to work. And it doesn't take a real long time to tear the door latch up and also to break that striker I, pin. I, I said torn loose off the door broke out of that b-pillar yeah it'll just crack because it's not ever designed to lift that car door when it gets enough it'll start skinning up the paint around door sure because it doesn't it'll bend the striker bolt down now the door no longer matches the opening and you can see rusty spots around your door you can actually take a door and pull it open the latch Mm -hmm. and just help the door off the the right. striker and if it drops any at all if you feel it drop if you look at the body lines and the body lines are not right. level you got then you've problem. got a hinge problem and at that point lubrication is too late it is but you can probably go in and make some adjustments in some cases depending on how bad off the hinge is right you could do some things rather than replace the whole assembly we could talk more about that and everything else we're going to be back in just a minute take our second quick little break if you ever plan to move west Hey, Mike, I'm thinking about boiling some shrimp. You know where I can get a good price? Oh, yeah. I got a shrimp guy, but there's a catch. His name is Remy Labateau, and you have to go down to Lafouche Parish and meet him after midnight. Okay. He'll be behind the dumpster of an abandoned fireworks stand off Louisiana 1, and you have to buy exactly 50.3 pounds. Well, that's oddly specific. It seems everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for an automotive guy, look no further than the team at Agco Automotive. No hassles, just straight up quality maintenance and repairs. And with Agco's general inspection, they can perform an annual checkup to find any problems and schedule maintenance to keep your car running right, saving you money in the long run. So what kind of seasoning do you use? Oh, I got a seasoning guy, too. How do you feel about traveling to Bangkok? Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Thanks for joining us for Saturday morning. Lewis, Agco Automotive. We've got Mr. Brian Terry right here by my side. Between tools, we'll try to answer any questions you might have. Just give us a call. It's 291-6901, and I'll get you right straight to us. That it will. Yeah, we were talking a little bit, and as always, we have some kind of a topic we sure. tend to follow, but you're never limited to that. If you have a question on any topic at all, just give us a call. Just break right on in. We don't care. That's what we're here for. There you go. We were talking about uh, infrequent right. kind of maintenance items and right. things, and we talked about the door hinges, and if you don't lubricate them, the door will start to sag, sure. which causes a whole lot of other problems. And kind of related to that same topic, the door detent. Right is actually another part of the hinge that holds the door open in a couple positions so it doesn't just kind of flop so around. So when you open your door, it doesn't come slamming and shut right. on Right. Those require a little bit of lubrication also. Right. Very, um, very light coating yeah. of grease on that is fine. Most of your Asian vehicles have a slide roller-type detent mm-hmm. that is actually the, – the detent part is actually inside the door. Right. And you, the little slide bar just runs back and forth right. that you can put the lubrication on. Most of your domestics actually have uh, the older ones had a spring and a roller, and actually a roller and a detent, like a little notch, like cut a notch in a cut in a bar, and that required a little lubricant also, mm-hmm. just to keep it working right. I've seen those bind up and cause hinge problems. Uh, yeah, or, or just break problems. I've seen it break. break. The hinge will pop out, and now the door slams on you when you park on if you're on perfectly level ground. The door comes slamming right. shut on you, and know, all that kind of stuff. Sometimes, right. every time you open the door, loud squeaking. 
usually once they get to that point, it's too late. You, right. you can lube them, and it's not going to help. It may help some temporarily, but once the damage is done, the damage is done. So, like everything we're talking about here, it's all infrequent stuff, but it needs to be done. Sure. If it's not done, it's too little to go in and do something and hope it's going to fix a problem. Yeah, it's, once the problem shows itself, it's too late. Well, it's sort of like transmissions. You need to change the fluid and filter in your transmission where it's able to be changed. But if you wait until it starts shifting irregularly or, right. or jumping in neutral. Servicing it then is too late. Yeah, it's too little too late. You could have serviced it before possibly prevented this problem. But trying to service it after the point, once you have problems, it's too little right. to go in and do a it's, maintenance. It's a repair issue. then. Now, you know, staying with the door. Many doors still have keyways on the door where you can unlock them with a key. Some don't anymore, mm-hmm. which I always thought was kind of a boneheaded idea. You get right. a dead battery, how you get in the car. <laughs> but a lot of them do have a little keyway. And the same thing as your ignition lock cylinder, that needs to be lubricated very infrequently and very lightly. Right. But again, a little bit of graphite on the key, push it in, push it out, dry the key off, work it a few times. That'll prevent problems with it. The latch itself, mm-hmm. those will get dry. Right. Um, a little bit of lubricant on the latch just to keep it moving freely will give you a, a lot less headache if you'll keep it clean and well, lubricated. And again, the proper lubricant on that, you probably want something like a dry silicon lubricant mm-hmm. where you spray a very, very light coating. Because I can tell you, if you put a big old blob of axle grease on there, it's slam going- door, it's going to be on a striker boat. When your wife gets in there with her new white linen dress and got a big black spot of grease, a war outdoor latch is going to be the least of your problems. <laughs> Not to mention it gets carried <laughs> into, into the seat and uh, yeah, everywhere yeah, yeah. she goes. Yeah, that, that's going to be a big, big, big issue. So, again, everything we're talking about today Moderation. is infrequently done. Right. Some items once a year, some maybe every two or three years even would mm-hmm. be adequate. The point is if you don't do them at all, you're going to have a problem. If, if you, you do overdo it, it you're going to have a problem. You're going to have a problem. And you got to use some common sense here, the right materials. Because, like I said, when you get in a car – Particularly, not so much with a pair of trousers, but if you get in a car with a dress on where it's kind of fluffing uh-huh. around, it may drag across that striker bolt. So you don't want anything wet, liquid, or greasy on that striker bolt. Right. Because that's, that's going to create a much, much bigger problem. So I say a little bit of spray, dry spray, open and close the door a few times, then take a paper towel and dry, dry that off. striker bolt off because it doesn't need to be lubricated. Just the latch itself needs lubrication. So. Sure. Anyway, just a, a little bit of common sense. We'll go on with more of that, but we've got Brian online. Good morning, Brian. How are you, sir? Good. Doing, how are you guys this morning? Doing great. Doing great. Well, I was kind of wondering, kind of hoping that uh, your transmission guy was there for this question today, but okay. that's fine. What it is is I got an old, older Hyundai Sonata 2006, mm-hmm. and the transmission was, I've had it, I've serviced it, had it serviced and mm-hmm. such, and every. 30, 50,000 miles or right. so. It's got 100, 180 on it about okay. right now. Mm-hmm. And it threw an error code, and I was going about 60 miles an hour, and it felt like someone nailed me in the back. Yeah. And so it basically dropped down to, what, third gear, I guess, or something like that. Probably so. And eventually went in limp mode, and I've tried a few things. Nothing worked. I took it in a transmission shop. They said they had it for the day. They said that uh, it's the o- overdrive gears out. Um, it's got two codes, you know, PO seven thirty five and seven fifty, mm-hmm. which is solenoid A. Also, it said. Mm-hmm. But before I, and then of course they say, you know, you need new transmission and such. But before I do that, is there a chance? By the way, you know, those are basically generic codes. I think if I uh, 
change it out to solenoids? Is there a chance anything could work? Well, you could you could try that, and there's always a chance that that can work. The thing you want to make sure of, Brian, number one, you want to make sure that you are getting command to those solenoids. Because if, let's say, it's got a sensor somewhere in the transmission that's causing that solenoid to be not commanded or improperly commanded, it's going to set a solenoid code. All it knows is that this gauge, that something's engaging when it shouldn't, so it throws a solenoid code. So that could be something as simple as a loose ground somewhere. It could be a sensor that's gone bad on transmission. Now, a solenoid itself rarely just goes bad. When the solenoid itself fails, normally what's happened is you've got something's failed in transmission. Metal is in the fluid because of whatever is going wrong in transmission. And the solenoid being a magnet is going to attract this metal, which jams the solenoid valve. That's why changing a solenoid rarely fixes a problem. You know, it's because it's either too little too late or it wasn't a problem in the first point. So what you would need to do is get someone to put a pressure gauge on the transmission so you can see what the pressures are doing, put a scan tool on there, drive it, and see what's being commanded, when it's being commanded, if it's properly commanded, and then address the problem that exists. Now, if all that is fine and the solenoid itself has failed, you can try replacing a solenoid, but in my experience, it rarely fixes the problem or fixes the problem long term. Because generally, it's a bunch of metal in that solenoid, and that's why it's stuck. And what's causing the metal is something's coming apart inside the transmission. Okay, so I can, I'll can i drain it and look at that uh, fluid and see if there is any metal in it. You can, or you can. I don't, I'm not sure if that one has a replaceable filter. I don't think oh, it does. If, if, you had to, no. if you could get to the filter, you'd cut the filter open and look inside, but I don't think that's possible on that one. What you might do, no. I don't know how hard the solenoids are to get to on a Hyundai. I don't know Honda. They're right on top. They're very easy to get to. If you take the solenoid out and get a magnifying glass and look at it, there's some metal stuck to it, then it's probably too little too late. But again, I wouldn't miss the opportunity to put a gauge on it and hook a uh, scan tool to it, drive it, make sure it's being properly commanded. We had a Toyota one time that was doing pretty much the same stuff, and someone had actually put a transmission in it trying to fix that problem and still had the same problem. And what we found was a ground lead behind the cylinder head. Someone had changed the valve cover gasket, took the bolt out, screwed it in finger tight, and that was the problem. We tightened that bolt up and fixed the whole issue. Oh, wow. Okay. So I can check that circuit. I'll check the circuit going into the mm-hmm. transmission then. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, I got you. All righty. All righty. Thank you very much. Bye, Brian. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for calling, right. man. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to party all more of I would certainly love to have you. Go ahead and give us a call. Talking a little bit today about kind of infrequent types of maintenance, maintenance types. and stuff you can do. Another one that comes to my mind is the hood latch. Right. And not just the little striker part, but also the latch itself. Because when those get dry and get rusty, what can happen, you have to pull the cable harder to, to get release it. To- it. Yeah, right, to get it to on to to get it to release and usually you'll end up breaking the cables if nothing more than getting them stretched out too far and then they don't operate correctly. A lot of times we actually see when the latch hangs up the hood will not pop up on its own when right. you pull the latch. Right. Sometimes it takes two people to open the hood, one to hold the cable open and the other one to be right. on a, the it won't hood pop up to pop it up because to get something's it, not released to get the secondary latch to get it open. Mm-hmm. And that is a big indication that that latch needs some lubrication. Right. And if you lubricate the latch and it still doesn't pop up like it should, 
there's generally little rubber stoppers that act almost like a spring. That, Some of them actually have a spring on them. Right, something to pop it up. Make sure all that is there and intact, too. We've got to take our third quick little break. Roy, if you hold on, you'll be straight up after this break. Man, you have a personal trainer, right? Yes, I've got the guy, Mr. Miyago. <laughs> He's going to teach me how to wax on, wax off. Mr. Miyago's no joke. Oh, sorry. He begins by filling your shorts with wet sand to provide weight resistance and enhance focus. Then launches into a series of drills like crouching tiger, hidden badger, fire monkey, flogging duck, and highly agitated dragon. Sounds kind of extreme. Yeah, bruh. Extreme results. Everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for the right automotive guy, it's Agco Automotive. We make it easy. Quality repairs and a staff you can trust. And with Agco's general inspection, you get an annual checkup to diagnose problems that could cost you down the road. You will need to sign a waiver stating you are not allergic to pig intestines and live geese. I think I'm just going to hit the gym, TJ, but thanks. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvesan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our general manager, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot lead. Hey, for tools, we're trying to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. It's 291-6901. And should you happen to miss your prime opportunity to get a live answer this morning, you can always go to our website, get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There is a contact bar on each and every page. Click the button, fill out the form, and send it on in. There you go. Couldn't be any easier than that. We're going back to our phone lines. Roy's been patiently holding. Good morning, Roy. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. Yeah, I got a, a 2011 Chevy Avalanche, mm-hmm. and been having a problem with the uh, the dryer freezing up on the, on the air okay. condition, mm-hmm. and it's not blowing inside the cabin itself. And I've, I've uh, changed the uh, dryer. And, well, no, wait, uh, wait, 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 you say it's not blowing inside? It's blowing. It's well, okay when I when I first get in it and drive it for about four or five miles, it, it uh, does good, and then all of a sudden the dryer fi- uh, freezes up. Okay, and then I don't get no get no air. But it's, it's blowing full volume inside because the reason I'm asking if if that air is restricted, that dryer is going to freeze up because you're not flashing off the refrigerant out of the evaporator, okay. and it's going to overflow into the dryer and start freezing. So. First of all, make sure you got adequate airflow through your evaporator core. There's full volume of air moving through there. Because something as simple as like a plugged-up cabin air filter can do that. If, if it doesn't fully flash that refrigerant in the evaporator core, the excess is going to flow into the dryer, and then that's going to freeze it. So what you're saying, I should change the uh, evaporator No, you shouldn't pole? change anything. Nope. You should check it. You should check see if you got okay. full volume of air moving through. The what, last thing you want to do, Roy, is start changing stuff. You want to know why it's doing it first. And then you right. want to isolate the problem and then change what's necessary, right. if anything's necessary. If the blower motor's not blowing. If, if the blower motor's bad, for some reason it's dragging, not moving enough air, that could do it. Sure. If the cabin air filter's restricted, it's not moving enough air. If enough air, there's, when you put your hand in front of that blower, it's blowing just as hard as it ever blew on any given speed. Yeah, it's blowing real good. Okay, okay. okay. Well, then you can forget all that. That's not going to be it. The second thing is, if it is low on refrigerant, it can do that. Because what can happen is it doesn't have enough volume going through the evaporator core. So, I mean, basically what's happening, liquid is entering that dryer. Mm -hmm. The dryer is there. It's actually called a receiver. It's there to catch any liquid that goes through the evaporator. 
and keep okay. it to get returned to the compressor. Because if it returns the compressor, it's going to tear the compressor up, and the whole system is going to be done. So something oh. like a low charge can do that. A restriction anywhere in the system can do that. Like, let's say you're generating some metal and the office tube is plugged up. It can cause that kind of thing. So right. the first thing to do would be I would take it to somebody, have them evacuate the system, measure what comes out, and make sure you got the right amount of refrigerant in it. If you do not have the right amount of refrigerant, then you need to find out why not and correct that. you either got a leak or somebody's overcharged it or undercharged it or whatever. So right. that you would have to determine that first. Now, if you got the right amount of refrigerant and it's still freezing, look at your pressures, and you could probably be able to see a, a restriction in line because one or other pressure will be way too high or way too low. So that's right. the way you'd have to go about doing it. I mean, you could change parts from now on and not hit the problem and maybe make things worse. Right, right. Okay. All right, well, because I, 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 I don't want to change the compressor on it. No, no, that's the last thing you want to do. And see, what this is, that's your last warning sign because right. you got liquid is going into the receiver, which it's not designed to have that. That's a safety valve. It catches that liquid to keep from going to compressor. If it overflows and liquid hits that compressor, it's done. The system yeah. is It's going to lock up. You know, it's not going to compress. So, yeah, you need to get on that right away. Oh, okay. Bring somebody, have them evacuate the system, check the charge, make sure the charge is correct. If the charge is correct, has the system been worked on before? Uh, yeah, it's been worked on before. Okay, you want to make sure that somebody maybe put too much oil in it. That's one thing. If you put too much oil, like some people just think if some's good, more's better. So it calls for eight ounces of oil, and they put ten. Well, that means two ounces of refrigerant can't go back in there because there's not enough room. So if you right. fully charge to the right amount, then you got too much, and it starts overflowing. See, so there's all kind of little things that can cause it. But it all starts out with evaporating, evacuating the whole system, seeing what's in there, and make sure it's right. And if if all that's right, then you probably got something like a restriction in the system somewhere that's that's causing that uh, overflow. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your help. All right, Roy. Thanks for calling, man. Bye bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. Still got a few minutes left. We can answer questions you may have. We were talking a little bit today about infrequent. Things that you might do your car. Another thing comes to mind. If you got a tailgate, like a pickup truck or an right. SUV or something like that, that tailgate is generally going to need some lubrication. Right. A little bit on the hinges, a little bit on the strikers, and even sometimes, like on Chevy pickups, you got that handle on the inside, you pull uh-huh. to release it. That can get dry. And you start pulling the handles a little harder, a little harder, a little harder. Next Before thing you know, long. it breaks off in your hand. Right. Well, it's usually four screws in there, two screws and two clips you could pull that out spray a little bit of wd-40 or some kind of light lubricant like that on you can prevent all that sure also a tiny amount of grease on those two striker bolts out will make a big difference yeah not only will it closes. open better but it will close sure. a lot better sure you don't have to slam the snot out of it every time and and beat it all to death you know you shouldn't when your truck is new and how easy that tailgate opens and closes, it'll always, always stay that way for life. Exactly. If it doesn't, then it's a matter of something isn't lubricated or isn't Something's gotten dry. Yeah, which is, is basically the same thing. Let's go back to our phone. We've got John online. Good morning, John. Good morning, guys. I got a quick question. You bet. I hope it's quick about, okay. about synthetic motor oil. Okay. Currently, I've got three 5.3-liter motors that I maintain. Mm-hmm. I change the oil at no no longer than 5,000 miles, mm-hmm. and I'm using AC Delco filters. Okay. I am currently using the top-of-the-line synthetic motor oil. Okay. I was doing some looking at specs of a different motor oil, a different brand, and it's it's the difference between with the filter and oil. It cost me $59 for an oil change per motor 
and the cost drops to $32 per. Yeah. John, per I got to tell day. you, man, I hate, I hate the idea of changing all types. Yeah. It usually what ends up we, creating a problem. We see a lot of times is the engine may start burning oil if you change the type right. of oil. You know, all the brand. oil is good. It all, it, as long as it meets specifications, it's all good. It will do the job. Right. But the additive package yeah. is not all compatible. I've seen a lot of times okay. where you burn zero oil, you got zero leaks, you change the type of oil, put the same exact specification weight. oil and weight and all right. that, and end up with all leaks and end up with burning oil. Okay. I mean, I all would... Right. I mean, really and truly, yes, that is going to save you some money, but I think you probably, particularly if they got higher mileage, like over 100,000 miles on them, I yep, think you yep, may do yep. yourself a disservice by doing that. Okay. All right, guys. Well, I'll keep shelling out that money. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John. Thanks for calling, man. Thanks so much. All, All right. right. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. Still got a few minutes left. Talking a little bit about infrequent things you might do sure. as far as maintenance that does a lot of good and again like like all maintenance you can't wait until it's too late and you got a problem then do the maintenance that's not it's what not maintenance, gonna maintenance helps to prevent a problem. problems in many many cases so another thing that comes to my mind is the seat tracks mm-hmm. but if you got manual operated street seats what hardly anything does anymore you'll notice they'll get hard to move but right. if you got power seats you won't notice it but the motor starts working a lot harder it does so just a little bit of lubricant on those tracks. And, the, again, you don't want to get crazy and get it all over the carpet and all that. And the same right. thing on the big screw, if it's got a screw in it, that runs it back and forth. A little bit of lubricant on that every so often will will keep those tracks working and keep you from having trouble with the, the seat track part. Now, another thing right along those same lines that most people don't think of as something you would lubricate, but the windows. Now, with the windows, the rubber seals that go around them are actually the tracks and the glass slides in that in track that. now with that what's a really good idea is just to keep all that clean sure take a detergent of some sort and clean those tracks really well you can even right. take a little bit of alcohol on a towel wipe out the grit and grime that accumulates particularly if you live around trees you get tree sap on the glass the tree sap gets into those windows i've seen cars that the window would not move guys thought it needed a window motor and the, the track was it was frozen. just just stuck yeah it stuck so bad that or they would go up and down once or twice and then they would stop because the motor was getting so hot it would kick out uh-huh cleaning those tracks and on that something like a little tiny bit of dry silicon spray right inside the track now not only will that make the windows work better it may prevent you from having to buy window motors sure very most possibly yeah, so that's something that you don't normally think about as maintenance. In fact, if you go on my website and just type in power windows, there's two articles in there that kind of go into that, when that should be done. And that's something I would be doing at least about once a year. Depending on the, depending on, you know, how much environment you actually have right. on in, that in glass. Right, environment, it doesn't hurt to clean those glasses around the edges where it rubs in that right. track. That just burns up so many window motors. And if it doesn't burn up the motor, it's going to break the regulator because most of those regulators are pretty oh, they're, they're, light. light they're light, anyway. yeah, extremely light. Like cable with plastic pulleys, and if that breaks, and you into taking the whole door apart. One last thing, because we're just about out of time, and this falls more into the category of, of do, do not, not sure lubricate, and that would be lug nuts, lug studs. Right, the lug nut on your vehicle wheel should be torqued to a certain specification, and that is a dry specification. You put, you know, torque is resistance to, to turn. move to turn. So if you put a lubricant on it, you allow that 
nut to to turn, turn so easier. You're so over torquing. You're very same, much over torqued. Yeah, you're stretching that bolt a whole lot more at the than same it's designed to be. Not only that, it doesn't have the same amount of friction to hold it in place. So if you see a wheel passing you up on the interstate, and it just happens to be yours. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yes, not that is not maintenance. Yeah. Not anything you want to do. Last thing I just want to touch on. That's put these treatments on your tires. Right. Again, that is not something that clean the tire with soap and water. Don't spray anything on your tires. Exactly. It can damage the rubber. Hey, I see we're completely out of time. I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening. I'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this morning and every morning. Tell your friends, go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, whichever that might be. Find a written view and fill it out for us, please. There you go. Sure. Appreciate it. Pre-Signal's opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. <laughs>